I made it to welding TikTok. Oh. And this guy is making his wife's, or he's going to propose with the ring that he's making himself. Mm. And I'm like, should I make jewelry? You could. Don't limit yourself. All the tools are so expensive. Don't limit yourself. Is your phone muted? Is it Jesse? No, he's in the basement. Call of Duty. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to The Hand Ones Dealt. This is the third episode, uh, and we were fortunate to get to sit down with uh, Khalil Kennedy, who is is a friend of ours from high school, and uh, we were just interested to uh, get his perspective on... You know, what he's been doing since leaving high school. I mean, you know, we haven't really kept up that well, but he was really great to talk to. I always knew him as the the kid with the incredible dance moves. Right. And he was always the kid you wanted to sit by in class because he was so nice and would lend you, like, the kind of person, whatever you want. You need a pencil? Sure. Yeah. Take. It's just the nicest, easiest person to talk to. But I didn't know that he was now an educator. And I didn't know anything about where he lived now or how he got to teaching because you seemed to already know that he was going to go into law. I didn't know that. Yes. I remember him saying that when we were uh, in high school. But I was really interested with his view, uh, you know, given the coronavirus and how, uh, as he will go into, how that impacted him as a teacher. And so that was really rewarding to hear that. And just to hear his passion was exciting, too. Coronavirus. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have TikTok on my brain. Why don't you ask me about my job? Um, Anthony, how's your job going? <laughs> well, Allison, as you know, I am no longer employed. I have quit my job and I'm I went rogue and I'm I'm traveling some. Yes. So we'll Woo-hoo! see what happens. Anthony's been talking about this trip and <laughs> quitting his job and doing what he loves for months. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so happy that you finally get to do what you've been talking about doing for so long. Yeah, it's been a couple months where I've been thinking about this, mulling it back. over. I am coming back. Maybe I won't. Maybe I don't have to. That's not funny. Don't. Yeah, so right now I'm in Colorado visiting family, but I'm going to continue westward, a little northwest. And then loop my way around down through California. That's the plan. We'll see what happens. You know, you got to be vigilant with the virus and such. But I'm feeling good right now. And I'm happy that I did it. And uh, hopefully something lines up soon. Do you even know what day it is right now? Wednesday. (laughs) Yep. See, like that's that's crazy. You're frozen. You're frozen. What happened? Did you stop recording? Uh-uh. I didn't either, so we're still good. <laughs> what happened? Jesse's playing Xbox downstairs, and I maybe we just can't be doing all this stuff at once. I don't <laughs> it's know. It's too much bandwidth. We just pay so much money, you'd think they'd figure it out. but We just lost each other for a little bit. We're doing a Zoom call. If you listen closely enough, you might be able to hear Jesse downstairs yelling <laughs> at his Xbox. Uh, where were we? I mean, yes, Colorado West, going west. So I think that's, yeah, that's where we cool. were. Yeah. <laughs> what? All right, Al. I think that's enough chit chat with you. Uh, I'm fine. 
Without further ado, here is Khalil Kennedy. All right, everybody, we are joined today uh, with Khalil Kennedy. Uh, Khalil is a graduate of the high school that we went to in St. Louis, Parkway North, and P North, represent. Um, and uh, he is uh, what I remember of him. It's it's been a while since we've last talked, but um, what I think is interesting about our generation is that you see people on social media and you feel like you kind of know them in some way. Um, and so I've been following him over the years since we graduated. And uh, for what I know from what you see on you know online is that he is uh, since. Uh, become a teacher, and he just posts really interesting content. And uh, I, from what I remember in school, uh, he was always a very deep-thinking man, very kind. And so we're very happy to have him uh, join us today. So I'm going to start with a, I think, what would be a softball question for you, Khalil, mm -hmm. and that would be, what have you been up to the past eight years? <laughs> uh, <laughs> man, uh, I've, you know. I've been up to a lot you know i went to uh university of missouri kansas city uh and originally i was going to do law you know i had my you know that's what i remember <laughs> my sights set on being a lawyer and you know i did Mocktron high school if y'all remember that and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um you know it was we had a really good team in, at parkway north and so naturally you know in college i kind of had a head start so i became the vice president of the of the uh the mock trial team at umkc and so, you know, we competed, you know, I got really deep into like, um, just the whole culture of, you know, trial law <laughs> and right, yeah. then just kind of became really disenfranchised right with it. Um, just kind of okay. like, um, it's, it's a very, you know, objective, uh, very, you know, just, I'm going to just throw the term out very white supremacy dominant culture. Right. And it's hard to operate within. And, um, you know, you kind of see the, uh, you know, I remember being in a trial and it was a very fixed trial. And then after I, the trial was over, I learned that the person across from me donated to UMKC's, you know, uh, law school, right? Okay. His, you know, his, his father was a donor. And you, you kind of start to see that, you know, um, things are a little bit more, you know, uh, things are deeper and more structural than you think. Right. And yeah, uh, a lot behind the scenes that you don't see about um, yeah. the end results of trials and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you see that a lot of attorneys become very removed from the people that they serve. Right. Um, and so, you know, I kind of took the knowledge that I gained with um, my degree with economics and what I knew about pre-law and, you know, I wanted to apply it to, you know, something a little bit more hands-on. Right. And so, uh, I was a tutor for a little bit at, you know, this, this school right after college. Uh, actually, so real quick, there was a, a brief stint at Hershey Chocolate Company, actually, where I was an <gasps> intern. <laughs> wow. And, and it was, and, you know, uh, In Pennsylvania? So it, actually, no, Hershey works uh, completely in satellite offices, right? So all the regional and district managers uh, actually operate from home. <laughs> So it's it's really interesting. Yeah, it's really really cool company, uh, but definitely like the uh, you know the corporate life wasn't for me either, right? So mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. you spend a lot of kind of finding you know what gets me up in the morning and what gets me motivated, right? And I remember tutoring was just like you know I saw myself in the kids like so much, right? 
And it's just certain things that I feel like teachers couldn't communicate with their students I, were to me obvious, right? They were super obvious, right? Right. Because, right. you, know, you know, I've been there. And so, you know, I decided to do Teach for America. And I actually ended up getting assigned at the school that I was tutoring at. Uh, and the school that I was tutoring at was actually the lowest performing school in the state of Missouri. Uh, in 2015, and one of the it was in the, the bottom ten when I started teaching there. What did you teach? What subject? So my first year I taught uh, sixth grade English. Uh, my mm -hmm. second year I taught fifth and sixth grade English, and in this last year I taught all subjects uh, uh, self-contained uh, sixth grade. Wow, and so you kind of your jump to teaching. Uh, as opposed to law was due to you did you say do you think it was that you could make more of an impact in teaching or that you wanted to be um, a source um, or somebody that people could see themselves in and you know live their lives and kind of emulate um you know I saw I saw it, it as more of a touch point with the community right I think you know you do right. have like your public defenders and people who like you know firmly hold down communities and you know, um, but for the most part, what I saw in legal practice was um, just kind of, you know, uh, the inability to really do and say an impact in the way that, you know, you can fully bring yourself into the job, right? And I think that, mm -hmm. you know, being a teacher, right, like, you know, I'm doing home visits and, <laughs> you know, what I'm saying like, yeah. you know, um, really making those connections with families and building trust and, you know, really, you know, motivating people towards um, envisioning their future in a different way, right? In a, in a way that only a teacher can do, right? Yeah, like there's so many different hoops you have to jump through or uh, processes put in place. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I know nothing of what I'm saying right now. But <laughs> in the, the legal system, you have to go through a certain chain of command. There's roadblocks here and there. But with you and the kid, it's you guys straight up just working stuff out instead of like, I have to talk to your super, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Kids have supervisors, but is that kind of accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, you know, in, in, you know, the, the law field, you're not necessarily, you know, um, you're not helping you. I mean, you're helping your client through a tough time. Right. But you're really not helping them learn anything. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's, there's no, you're helping um, them navigate the system rather than, fixing the problem from the game. yeah exactly becoming an actual changing a change change agent of you know um or operating against oppressive systems right what i saw was interesting i did a little research on um the statistics for teachers and uh african-american teachers only account for six percent of the teaching population um, and then also from that, you have uh, males are 23%. These stats are from 2017-2018 um, National Center for Educational Statistics. Account for 24% uh, of teachers. And so was that kind of a motivation to kind of see yourself in the classroom so that they, the students? So, yeah. And so you mean 20, you know, black, black teachers are 24% of that 6%, right? It would be twenty male teachers are twenty four percent just across yeah. the board, and then a separate statistic is six oh, percent oh. is African American teachers. Got you, got you, got you. Yeah, um, I see. 
a, a huge shortage of, of black men in the classroom, right? And, you know, as someone who grew up, you know, um, you know, you know, essentially fatherless, right? My, my, my dad went to jail when I was really young. And then he, you know, later passed um, after, you know, after high school. And, um, you know, actually, it's, it's interesting. I just got off of uh, a podcast uh, called Ceiling Fans, literally that we just recorded right before this. And you know, I was talking what? to my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I was talking to my friend Martel, you know, and um, he was one of my dance teachers. And he now has a podcast called Ceiling Fans. Check him out. Shout out Martel. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, we were talking about how even having a black male dance teacher, right, who mm-hmm. kind of showed me how to provide, like, he provided me a platform without asking for much in return, right, and right. has kind of taught me what leadership looks like in the role of a black man, right, was so important in my self-development, right? And so, you know, you have a lot of teachers in the classroom who uh, do not understand the motivations and you know, the nuances of what it is to be a black male, right? And, and, a, and a black right. male child, right? Or, uh, or a socioeconomically disadvantaged black male child, you know, like, you know, and so having that relationship being able to, like, you know, connect with them on that level is, is so important. Can I, can I say, can I tell like a quick story? No, please. Yes, please. please. So, I had a student, I'm not going to say his name or anything, uh, but uh, he came in one morning uh, and uh, this, is my, this is one of my, uh, you know, my first co- cohort. And, you know, there's nothing like your first cohort, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. They, they, they inevitably change your life, you know. Um, and so he, com- he comes in and he had his fist balled up and, he, you know, he was just fighting back something, man fighting back something terrible you could you know you could tell it's all in his face and you know um so you know i i pulled him over you know and this is before he, he came in almost every morning before school by the way right mm-hmm. and so this morning he, he came in particularly upset and so I over the side and just like, hey man this is you know usually you're you know bugging me right you usually i'm the tired one and you you all over me like you know white on rice in the morning man what's what's going on you know <laughs> and he um he just kept saying you know why'd it have to be me why'd it have to be me why'd it have to be me over and over and over again. and uh i think as a teacher you learn that you kind of just let kids talk sometimes because if you ask mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. sometimes they're gonna you know and They'll tell you the truth, and it, yeah. it's a, it's very heavy. It can be very heavy for you. Yeah, and so eventually he said, you know, why'd it have to be my dad, right? Mm. And he, you know, told me about how he was um, in his he was he was moving boxes, and he found letters that his dad had wrote from jail, right? And mm-hmm. so I asked him, well, what'd you learn, you know? And uh, he said, well, I learned that he's a smart guy. Right. Mm-hmm. I was like, of course, man, everyone who goes to jail is not dumb. Right. You know, like, right. You know, and uh, it we had this amazing conversation, you know, where he just told me how he was feeling about everything, you know, how like he wanted to talk to his mom about the whole situation, just didn't know the words. And so we talked about mm-hmm. how he would even engage in that conversation with his mom. And the incredible thing about this story is that when I was in high school, 
uh, when I was, uh, no, sorry, when I was in middle school, when I was, before I came to Parkville North, when I was in middle school, we were moving and uh, we, were, we were moving to a new place. And I remember sitting in the, in the back of my mom's Subaru and I found a box of letters that my dad had wrote from jail, right? Wow. And yeah. I remember sitting, it was probably 90 degrees that day, sweating my butt off, just reading through these letters that I'd never seen, you know? And I haven't talked to my dad at that point since I was probably eight, right? Uh -huh. And um, my mom, <laughs> you, know, you know, came downstairs and saw me and I tried to, you know, hide real quick what I was doing. But she knew, she knew that I found the letters and she asked me, um what i thought she asked me how i you know um how that made me feel like reading those letters and the first thing that i said is he was really smart mm -hmm. you said that and, too. yeah and so seeing that parallel like it was it was you know i'm i'm not a very religious person right you know but there's there was something about that moment that was definitely just unexplainable because it was it right. was so similar and so you know um it just seemed like almost that no one else was meant to like you know have that knowledge for him right and maybe, i'm sure there are did a lot you of other tell people. him did you tell him your experience or did you kind of just let him yeah rant? yeah we eventually this was this was a, you know he, he came probably about an hour before school started because he knew i would be there but <laughs> and his mom dropped him off yeah he, he had younger siblings um, and so we, we had a long conversation and I did tell him about that and we, sh and we shared that experience. And I think the craziest thing is what he says, he's smart. And, I, and it sticks with me because I thought about that. And, you know, you know, there's this assumption, I think that like, you know, when you're young and you're black that, you know, you're inevitably just, you know, um, I don't know, like, you're, you're just kind of thought as you think of yourself as less than and you project that on you're destined the for failure you. yeah you're kind of destined yeah. for failure is the mentality Absolutely. i think is it's taught um to yeah. those type of students um yeah. how do i i have a question on how do you navigate i think people don't well obviously i know this teachers don't get enough credit and they take on so many roles and so like in that position you know people think that you just go to school and teachers just you know teach but you're t assuming a role as a you know social worker a coach a mentor and you know teacher and you know disciplinarian and and friend how do you like put all those things together and kind of keep your sanity in those type of environments when you're getting such um such uh, pressures on you from students administration um you know i happen to have uh you know a coach uh named, named dante who helped me out with this a lot because every teacher struggles with it right every teacher has their you know their stories i think what really helped me overcome was uh bringing your entire self into the classroom which is so hard it's it's and, and i mean a lot when i say that right like a lot of us we go to work and we shred our personal life right? It's like a cloak. We just take it off. <laughs> we hang it up, you know, at our, at our desk and we are our work selves at work. Right. And then mm -hmm. you, you put your personal life back on as you walk out the door, you know, the things that you like to do, your hobbies outside of work, you know, we're so used to subdividing ourselves and our personalities, right? Can't do it yeah. as a good teacher. If you're going to be an effective teacher, 
you have to learn how to bring your entire self into the classroom, right? You have to work through your traumas with your students and you have to let them hold mm -hmm. you accountable, right? You have to go, guys, you know, one of my things was, guys, I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep it together today, all right? And my students knew that <laughs> when, I was trying to, <laughs> when I was trying to keep it together, I had a water bottle because, you know, we, you know, you learn self-regulation methods, right? And one of my self-regulated methods is just drinking water, right? If I'm ever feeling flustered or, you know, scatterbrained, like I'm just going to sit, I'm going to take a few gulps of water, hydrate, right? And so, you know, my kids would know that, like, you know, if I grab my water bottle, <laughs> like, like yeah, you know, they were, yeah. they're, everybody's yelling or, like, you know, yeah, and they would, they would get real uh -oh, quiet. I got the water bottle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I should be like, oh, no, Wait, but I'm good, guys, like, you know. But, you were talking about being your full self in the classroom but yeah. like that has to have an impact on you too that means like correct me if i'm wrong you're going home and you still have those kids on your mind you're still you bring do you bring the classroom home with you too if you're putting your whole self there does it come back with you that's got to be hard to separate i think in my head i mean yeah I, you know it, it gets to a certain point i think for me where it's like why would you want to separate it you know if you really love what you're doing, why would you why would you want to separate it, right? Like, and I'm gonna that's... interrupt you and just say that I I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. That's very rare, or maybe it's the type of jobs that I well, make. because it could really take a mental strain on on you for yeah. your you know all of these kids' problems, what they're going home to, especially in the environment that you were in. I I feel like that would be really hard on me at least. Well, but you know. When you promote healing, uh, you know, kids, man, kids reciprocate, man. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Kids, kids are the most, like, they're so loving, right? Like, you know, sometimes I just tear up because you, you think that, like, man, these kids are just, like, sixth graders. You think these are the most heartless people in the world, right? Like, do you remember yourself mm -hmm. in sixth grade? Like, you know, like, but we, you know, I've these are also changed. the same. <laughs> <laughs> no, you haven't. <laughs> uh, go on. These are the same kids that, you know, write you notes that, you know, that ask you questions that adults don't ask you. Hey, man, you, you look kind of down today. What did something happen? Like, you know, like like kids, kids can also uplift you, too. Right. You know, it's it's not also like it's not just like this weight of taking on all their problems. You also take all the things that they do to uplift you in the classroom, too, and especially when you. When you do like, you know, we did like, you know, the activities like where half the class sits and half the class stands and you, you know, mm -hmm. one half puts the head down and you say like, you know, touch somebody who made you laugh or touch somebody who, you know, you think is really intelligent. Right. And you go around and you see them touching and you see them, them giggling and everything. Right. And then uh, we have the debrief and we talk about how that made how that made us feel. And you just see the, the room change. And you also take those moments home with you, too. Right. Like, yeah. and then. And, and the more you give, the more you get back, right? Like my first year, I, I'm sorry if I'm ranting, like, but. No, I love <laughs> no, it. No, go, go on. I've just okay. never heard this perspective. It's always been, uh, my work is so much and I can't stop thinking about my kids and it's more of a burden, yeah. but you're talking about it as I get as much back from them as I give, but I think you're kind of an anomaly, not an anomaly, but you give a lot to these mm -hmm. kids, mm -hmm. like checking in with them like that. That's not something the average teacher would do. Like that's above and beyond. 
And nothing, and I just want to say nothing against uh, those other teachers. Uh, right. Know, it's, I don't, it's, it's, you it's know, just not, not common. It's just not common, yes. Yeah. Uh, the I think my first year, I think I tried to, you know, split myself in half a lot, right? Uh, you know, I actually didn't tell my kids that I was a break dancer, right? Which, you know, uh, y'all y'all know I'm, <laughs> like, I don't have to. <laughs> yep, yep. That's my next question, but we'll get there. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have to explain that to y'all, but. Uh, you know, I, my kids would ask and it was kind of an ongoing joke where they knew, right. They, they Googled me and found old stuff, old videos, <laughs> old performances. <laughs> I think and, I have videos. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they would, they would, you know, man, Mr. Kennedy, this is definitely you. I know this is you. And I'd be like, me, do I look like I can dance? And it, it's funny. Cause like we would do, you know, I did this, um, you know, um, you, you call them appraisals or something like you do something to get the kids like active and up on their feet like and one thing you do is like I would do um, you know two 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 claps and a dab or we would do a ho- the, the whoa right and it'd be like you know you know Anthony that was an amazing you know you did an amazing job answering that question I think we should take one to celebrate all right let's do like you know uh, two claps and a whoa all right and we count down okay. one two three and they, and they hit the whoa you know what I'm saying and I would always do the dances yeah. like real, real whack, just so they would like make fun of me and everything. <laughs> so they, they, they really like were, were you know, like, hmm, he really can't dance in class. There's no way that <laughs> you, you put up, you put up a good front. You put up a good front on them. Yeah. But what I noticed about that is that like you know, um, when I started my second and third year, when I got more comfortable in the classroom, when I had more of a reputation in the classroom, I noticed that. The kids loved seeing that side of me. Like, like sometimes I would have music playing in the classroom, and I would like dance a little bit. Like, not even like dance, dance, but you know, just rock back and forth and snap or something like that. And man, the more vulnerable I was in the classroom, the more okay they felt being vulnerable. And you get to the point where you know you you tell your kids you love them, right? And and they say it back, and you know it shouldn't be a weird thing in in your classroom and. You know, um, that's what I mean, right? That the first, the difference between my first year and second and third are world's differences for me, right? From once I was trying to like, you know, or from when I was trying to kind of segment myself and draw the super hard work life, you know, personal life uh, divide to, you know, just kind of flowing and letting, letting, you know, a little bit of my, just being, being my whole self everywhere I go in every space I take take up right yes being authentically uh true to yourself which can then be reflected back uh, from your students yeah, uh, yeah. i do want to ask about how so you were teaching um this year with coronavirus is that correct yes <laughs> and so yeah. how did that turn out for you you know did you end up having to teach remotely or how did that work out for um, you and your students Man, uh, I'm trying to find words that aren't cuss words. It was a, it was it was a shit show, man. It was it wasn't, you know, and it was because you know, like the the one of the big debates that I remember was there's you, there's already a technical a technological divide, right? Yes. So you know, students in in you know my neighborhood that I taught in don't have readily you know internet access available right uh like maybe in lee summit and i would compare it to you know like a 
like a Chesterfield to like, you know, like South City, right? Like mm-hmm. there's the the level of technology that's, you know, even available is just not the same, right? And so, you know, we did have one-to-one devices at our school, but not all the parents had internet, not all the, you know, not everybody had working, you know, run like electricity, right? So we're still teaching, we're still in school, and we're not able to reach all of our students. You know, all of our students aren't able to engage as much, but you also got kids out in Chesterfield that, you know, or like the Lee Summit that just transitioned very seamlessly into it, right? Mm-hmm. They already, some schools already had, you know, personal laptops for the kids that they already operated from at home anyways, right? So now the technological divide is worsening if they're still being held accountable for those standards in, you know, the end of the school year exams, right? So let's say they take a test next year and there's going to be questions from, you know, your uh, fourth quarter standards from sixth grade that you were supposed to learn, right? There's going to be a huge disadvantage for those that were, you know, in, you know, in like poor neighborhoods or had less access, right? And so it's... It's tough because I already you can see the future, right? Because mm-hmm. people aren't planning for it, and when people aren't planning for it, right, <laughs> then right. there there's no viable resolution that's being offered. And when there's no viable resolution that's being offered, usually the people at the bottom get affected worse. They usually get the worst. So are they gonna reteach some of the stuff that was skipped over or maybe grazed over pa- the past year? Because I feel like there's so much that you cannot learn through a screen. Yeah. So every yeah. every school and especially every school, like a, yeah. like uh, like the arts. I think that's a huge one. Yeah. How do you get that outlet for? I mean, I mean that's not your background necessarily, but like I'm just thinking about those students who use that as an outlet, and now they're just confined to if they even have access to subjects which bore them or you know they don't feel comfortable in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I know at our school, our, the, their support teachers are like, you know, their, their art teachers, their music teachers, they were supposed to work in tandem with uh, mm-hmm. other teachers to try and provide those lessons. And every, every school has their separate plan. You know, some schools, um, we decided at the school, that the site that I was teaching at, we decided to actually circle back and just work on first quarter, second quarter, and third quarter standards and, you know, not to teach anything new because it just, okay. yeah. you know, with the, the level of engagement that we had and uh, also just obviously teachers adapting to these new, uh, you know, virtual platforms of teaching, we just didn't think it was a good idea to try and teach fourth quarter standards. But uh, some schools might go back and teach them. Some schools might just go, hey, let's try and, you know, hit them, you know, in, in other ways, maybe like, mix them into your first quarter standards next year but what i what i do know that is you know um you know that hasn't changed is they will still be expected to test over that material Mm -hmm. right yeah so is there a lot of dependence on or is there a lot of reliance on the parents to make sure they get online or their guardians to be like, did you do your homework? Because what if they don't have that? Is it just mm-hmm. not going to get done? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Um, 
So the, it is a lot of reliance on, you know, who they're staying with at, at any particular time, right? And, uh, you know, it really comes down to the relationships that you've built with the kids at that point, right? Like, you know, um, <laughs> you know, like they're, yeah, I don't, there's not even much really more to say about that. Yeah, it's, there's, it's just really up in the air. There's not a whole lot of ways to, you know, um, hold anybody responsible, right? Right, um, yeah. And that would, just the, the way you talk about your kids and how much you love them, it's like blowing my mind just because <laughs> I could never do what you do. And especially being through a computer, I I would see it as a burden. Like I have to teach them this, but they're not logging on. Where's Jimmy's homework? And that's an extra stressor to me. But your yeah. your attitude is kind of like, it is what it is. We're going to deal with it how we do. And you're going to be there for them as a, a sense of reliability. They can count on you being there. And I, I think that's really cool. Yeah. And then, you know, also... Um... Education has been desperately needing some change, some reform, mm-hmm. and you know, mm-hmm. and you know, I think, you know, I've definitely seen some. Uh, I've done some professional development where I see a a bright future for where technology. Because I, I I feel like I could, I could really go off on this subject. I'll say good teachers. You should. Good good teachers have been you know integrating technology in effective ways throughout the school year regardless right like yeah my entire last years i've had a google classroom set up alongside what i teach in class so that they have access from home and um or if you know if they go to the library um from home and school right uh there's you know these things called hyperdocs where if you've ever seen like um a lot of businesses when they do uh what do you call them um like a, a um a conference, right? They'll send out these um, kind of uh, electronic forms with bitlies and things that you can access for surveys and, you know, or, or like pre-work to do for the conference, right? A lot of, like I've seen people using those hyperdocs in classroom lessons and doing complete virtual lessons through hyperdocs and they're incredible, right? Um, some of my, you know, actually some of my coolest lessons that I've ever done were, you know, uh, recently virtual, like, you know, I had, you know, a few of my kids who are, um, more behind, you know, I had them just five of them on one call. Right. And I was sharing my screen for them to do math problems. Right. And they shared their screen back. Right. And then, you know, while they were doing that, I was sending them videos to watch and things. Right. And then they would come back on and then they, and we would talk and it was, these were still like quality learning experiences, but they also didn't have the pressure of, you know, you know, uh, <laughs> the top student over here looking at them like, you know, they're, you know, like they're mm-hmm. dumb or something. Yeah. And, and, you know, Cause it's, all, it's like personalized. Pressure. Yeah. And yeah, so it's personalized. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, what's potential for, you know, uh, good personalized lessons. Uh, and also, Man, we overwork the hell out of our kids, man. You know, like, uh, I, you know, this this particular school year at the halfway mark, so in December, 
you know, we had an 88% in my class who had hit their yearly growth goal. And, you know, we had uh, a 250% growth median, which means, you know, uh, the average growth by the halfway, you know, point on our district assessments was about two grade levels and a half, right? Okay. Amazing numbers, right? Amazing numbers, right? These are mm -hmm. just numbers you don't really see, especially in schools like Banneker. But I meant to, in order to get those numbers, man, like, you know, I put those kids to work, man. And, I, and sometimes I hate it. <laughs> I hated it, you know, because they were overworked. I, you know, I saw how many tests they took. I saw their faces on the district assessments. And, you know, you try and make it fun. You try and, you know, get them through it. Um, but, you know, sometimes, you know, they even lose the ability to be kids in, you know, those environments yeah. where you're just constantly pushing, yeah. pushing, 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 you know. Like, you know, my class was extremely segmented this last year. Where it was just like I had them in rotations on 15-minute intervals, right? <laughs> It's like okay. 15 yeah, minutes to yeah. do this assignment, put that away 15 minutes, put that away 15 minutes, put that away 15 minutes, right? You're rotating to my desk, right? Like, and so while they were rotating through those assignments, they were also rotating through like small group or what's called direct instruction where I was reading one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one with those five students. So my kids knew when they entered my classroom, they just, they were working <laughs> straight until lunch yeah. and they were working straight until, you know? And so while that is effective, like I don't necessarily like I see where it's benefiting them academically, but I also see how it's hurting them socially. All right. Well, that's kind of setting them up for the rest of their lives though. Not that it's right. Yeah. But yeah. That kind of work ethic is gonna be important, I think, the rest of their lives. Not that that's a good thing, but it's kind of the expectation at this point, is how I feel. Um what so Let's transition a little bit. I want to know what has been your greatest um, moment or achievement as a teacher so far. Whew. If you if you can pick one, you name some good stuff. How are you gonna pick? <laughs> yeah, I think definitely that the the, the uh, I ready test. So we take the district the district assessment for I ready, and mm -hmm. uh, having you know having eighty eight percent of my class. So like I think it was twenty three out of twenty six of my students like hit their yearly growth goal was amazing. And that was in December. So I think had I got to end the school year with my kids and them to take their actual end of school, I think we would have definitely had a 100% growth margin. And I think mm -hmm. it would have, we would have had an astronomical number with, with growth, you know? Uh, and I think not only was the growth there, but you saw just the personal development from all the kids. And um, the growth is just an aggregate for, every single relationship that I have with each one of those kids, right? And so, um, so I guess on a data level, that was like, that's that's my like badge, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, I yeah, like that, take that. That's, that's the badge, but you know, everything I did to get the badge is what I'm really proud of, right? Yeah, well that's really cool. Let's talk about your, your dancing. How did you get into- <laughs> Yeah, that, uh, I, to... was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna ask where you're at with that. Yeah, what? How, where did you start dancing? How did you get into it? How did I start? Yes. Yeah, that was all. As long as I've known you, that's been like a primary interest. How did you like yeah. decide? Wait, I really enjoy this thing, and I'm going to pursue it. All he did around school was dance. Facts. Yeah. <laughs> Facts. Yeah. Uh, man. Uh, so my mom taught me how to like you know um, 
how to do the wave. Actually, the first move she ever taught me was the Harlem Shake. All right. Okay. Uh, you know, and if you ever watched P. Diddy in like the early 2000s, all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, so I always kind of just like dancing at parties, whatever, dancing when I hung out with my friends, you know, dancing at the school mm-hmm. dances. Uh, and, you know, I was really into sports, I was into football and basketball. And, okay. um, you know, I've always been really injury prone, though, right? Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so uh, my freshman year when I played on the team, uh, I had a pretty bad uh, fracture that took me out for six weeks. And then uh, I think the way it healed also wasn't wasn't great because, I don't know, like I definitely just like it still wasn't right for some time afterwards. Um, and then even trying to like... Um, just I kind of lost the passion, honestly, for for basketball and and football. Right. And uh, so my mom, you know, I was sitting around the house a lot, and my mom was just like, "Boy, you gotta do something, right? You're mm-hmm. not going, you're not going to sit around the house, right?" And so um, she was like, "You like to dance, you know? I'll take you to, you know, maybe like a dance class. You can see how it is." And so I said, like, "Well, I don't, I don't want just any dance, like you know, like." And so I was watching America's Best Dance Crew at the time. And so, you know, mm-hmm. we found uh, a studio out in Wildwood, uh, a student named Nick Gates, and um, I ended up, you know, taking classes from, from Nick and, uh, and actually in Martell, the guy, you know, got a Ceiling, Ceiling Fans podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, man. It was just, it gave me, like, dance is something that I think is athletic and it kind of fulfills that need, but it's also artistic. Right, and so it kind of fills that need for creation too. That's kinda pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's awesome. Do you still dance now? Yeah, yeah. Not you know, I, I you know I've been competitive for about ten years, and actually because I'm just now getting a little bit more like settled financially, and like you know moving into my you know own place that's like you know like an actual big boy place, and <laughs> you know right, decorating. Right. You know, like, you know, I recently bought, uh, like, rice holders, right? Like, <laughs> it's like what the, is it? Rice holders? Or, or, like, grain holders. They, like, you know, they're like those little cans oh. that you put, like, you <laughs> yes, know. Yes, yes. Sugar, and, you could put, I get yeah, it. Yeah, 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 brown oh, sugar, oh, sugar, okay. yeah. you know. Like any, adult stuff, yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah, and so, you know, now that I'm kind of a little bit more settled, I'm getting back into practicing and getting more intentional about it, right? Like targeting certain weaknesses I have in dance, and I'll be out, you know, performing and, you know, uh, competing when I can. Yeah, I hope you never stop. It's oh, really you. cool. <laughs> thank you. All right, I have one more question for you. Once Allie has one, but we always try and do a fun thing to conclude with. It is, if you could meet one person in history or alive, who would it be and why? Ten seconds. What the heck kind of on-the-spot nonsense is that? Well, we can cut it up. I have no idea what I would pick. See, this is this is why I give wait time in the classroom. Usually in the classroom, <laughs> when, I, when we ask this, we do a turn and talk, right? Or you, you turn and talk uh-huh. with your neighbor. <laughs> yeah. So let me just talk to my, um, yeah. yeah, let me just talk, let me make a phone call, and then we'll come back. Um, oh my, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know who I would pick. I'd probably say Jim Carrey. Mm. Really? 
Okay. Yeah, that's my man. I think mm. I'd have to go with uh, Frank Sinatra. Mm. Yeah, I could have guessed that. Mm. <laughs> I didn't think that was that hard of a question. That was a man. hard question. It is, man. Well, because, I don't know. Do, do we, are we going to get deep? Do I, I don't want to get deep. I don't want to get, like, sentimental. I'll probably talk, okay, to, my, do, probably talk to my dad. Yeah. I mean, I... Okay. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I encourage yeah. sentimental, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, i probably yeah. talk to my pops just because, you know, uh, you know, we, we were starting to, like, really build a relationship before he passed. And uh, mm. I feel like that was like cut short, so I would love to to talk to him. Well, c- well, uh, Khalil, thank you very much for speaking with us today. Um, you've given us really, really great perspective, and I, I applaud you and all the other educators out there who are, you know, doing some really tough work and really trying to inspire mm-hmm. these kids, especially given the circumstances right now. I don't think that I could, I could. Uh, handle all that pressure and stress Mm-mm. and the the weight that is on all of you so uh continue to you know keep these kids in line and and uh, make yeah. a difference <laughs> in a positive way though like the the positivity and yeah. your your view of all of that is kind of inspiring and you. you don't see that a lot so i'm glad we got to talk about that well y'all Made thanks my week thanks for having me man thanks for having me and you know Feel free to reach out anytime. Well, do you want to plug anything? Do you? Have oh, a oh, that's I'm. I'm so sorry. Yeah, is there a cause or like an, uh, something you want to bring awareness to? Um, well, your friend's podcast, Ceiling Fans. Yeah, Ceiling Fans podcast. Check it out. Uh, I do not, uh, or was it? I I don't know Marty. I D U N N O M A R T Y. Um, and then you know, if you want to follow me, it's at Khalil K H A L I L underscore J underscore Kennedy K E N N. EDY, uh, you know, that's my education page. I also got at Mr. M-I-S-T-R underscore KJ. Uh, it's my dance channel, like, you know, where I post all my dance content. Ooh. <laughs> uh, I'm following that. Go follow your local uh, collective boards. Uh, Ronaldo Jackson is the board chair for the collective board in, uh, in St. Louis. And they're doing okay. amazing work. They throw uh, a lot of events for educators of color, um, you know, and you know they've uh, they've really been holding down a lot of the the black teachers in in St. Louis. So go give them a follow. I think it's TFA underscore STL underscore Collective. Al, well, that was a good recording. How do you yeah, think it I, went? I could talk to him for hours. Yeah, he was- um, I miss him. He's a cool guy. I mean, that's that's what I remember about him is that he's so easy to talk to. Yeah, and you can feel his passion and what he does. And I was, I was, it was oh, so yeah. nice that I didn't have to lead him with that uh, question about him wanting to go to law school because that's what I remember him as wanting to go and do that. And he was always a really great uh, debater, and when he did uh, mock trials and such, it's it, you know, it's just a shame that that was kind of something that really interested him. Um, well, he had to try that to figure out that he didn't want to do that as his lifelong thing. So it held him, helped him learn his passion for teaching, which is, so it wasn't wasted time. It was, you got to figure out what you don't want to do to know what you do want to do, I guess. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's just. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't know, I don't know. 
Uh, Anthony got a cocktail out and now he's all loosey goosey. <laughs> oh, I had one sip. Get out of here. <laughs> he <Jeez>. chugged. <laughs> no. A bottle of vodka. No. no. This isn't in the cut. Yeah, it is. What is I'm enjoying so far in doing this podcast is I think that, or I don't think I know, that there are, it's nice to hear people of our generation, you know, being excited about the work they're involved in and showing their investment and kind of seeing the payoff of what uh, they worked so hard to do. And being at their early start of their careers, you know, you still see that that uh, glimmer or, or sparkle um, of, you know, optimism and, and joy in what they're doing. Yeah, I I don't think I've ever met somebody with the kind of outlooks he does in terms of the opportunities he sees with these kids um, rather than uh, not a burden. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but I, I, it inspires me how he talks about how much he loves his kids that he teaches. Yeah, it, it was nice. Well, now we need to get down to Texas. Yeah, I know. Another reason to go down there. Yes. It was a good reminder, I think. Uh, for me that, that especially with COVID right now, I, I didn't even consider the fact that what, what if you don't have access to these things that everybody else does? I didn't even consider because I wasn't ever in that situation. I was fortunate enough to not be in that situation. So I didn't really, that wasn't at the forefront of my mind. So I'm, I'm glad that he reminded me and showed such excitement about the possibilities and the opportunities and where he can fill in the gaps in the education system, what he saw growing up. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I just feel like it was kind of inspiring. Well, and what I will say is there was a statistic that I didn't offer or I just omitted, um, but mm. same organization, National Center for Education Statistics. This was from 2017 to 2018. And this, it's, that is, <laughs> you like my, I always got my little stats here. 21% yes. of public schools offer at least one online class. So that's one. That's one fifth of all public schools in the United States. So it's just, I mean, we kind of knew this. It's kind of like the, from an education standpoint, when you push off something so long and, you know, we should be integrating technology into you know, all classrooms. Yeah. Yeah. I liked how he said that, that's something people should have been doing already, which I didn't even consider. And we knew all, I mean, everybody knows all these things prior to, to this happening, but what coronavirus has done is to all the systems that are frail in our country, uh, they've kind of shown the, the, <laughs> the, aspects of them that are so deeply um underfunded and yeah. you know are not giving proper attention to so yeah education like these is, things should have been in place already yes. yes i think it that's a good point i didn't think about that all right everybody well we want to thank you for joining us today actually you know what Allie? i think i'm going to go on a little rant be my guest i people need to register to vote and that is such uh, an important thing that i hope all of our, our listeners do and i'm not looking for you to be aligned in uh your voting as i would but we have to get people invested we have to recognize that the right to vote is so so important and as a as you know the united states is often uh 
thought as is the beacon of democracy, we must live up to that that ideal and recognize that for women they couldn't always have the uh, right to vote, and for African Americans this was a, a fight that we had to do, and folks that were twenty one didn't gain. Um, or 18, rather, didn't get the right to vote until an amendment was passed in the Constitution. So I think for so long we take these things for granted because we don't see them and how uh, everyday people are impacted. But this is so important, and we must uh, get involved uh, in our democracy to make the change that we wish to see. And like I said, uh, it's not I'm not telling you to vote how I would want you to, uh, but it's just involve yourself in the process and be an active, active participant. Did you know it's only been a hundred years since women had the right to vote? Yeah. You know how long the country's been around? No. (laughs) (laughs) Let's all right. Well, 240 plus years. So what the hell was going on? (laughs) I really didn't know that. That's fine. It's embarrassing. No, it's fine. It's all learning process, Al. <laughs> it's crazy because you don't think about it because we didn't, your parents didn't grow up there and, you know, having that, um, being without access. So why would you think about it? We take it for granted. And Yeah, that was not long ago. Allie, thank you very much for letting me go on a little tangent there, but I, this is, it's too important that people don't vote or they, you know. I'm going to continue on with this, actually. Uh, (laughs) uh, When people say that they don't vote or that they just, you know, that they don't vote, it kills me. It's the it's the act of voting, which is so important. Um, You can go in and write in um, your favorite mascot, hopefully not the Washington Redskins, but. um, That was funny. You like that? Yeah, it was good. It's the act of actually showing up, participating, and being involved in your country. That is so vitally important. And a vote or staying at home or not voting at all is not count as a vote for either candidate or no one. We have to see the full representation. We can't get a good gauge on where everybody's feeling in the country if we're just having people sit out at home. That's not how it would work. That's not how our four fathers intended it. And four ladies. <laughs> ha <Ha-ha>, 2020. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Be well, be kind and go vote.